John chapter number 19, if you're following along in your Bible, John chapter number 19, um, they said I preached the shortest message in the history of me preaching at the 9 o'clock service. I don't know why. It was the same number of pages that I normally prepare, So, um, but praise God. So you can go and eat early today, amen. John chapter number 19, verse number 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Today we honor and express our love to all the mothers out there. And I can think of no better text to show us how to love and honor our mothers than this particular text, what Jesus said to his mother from the cross. And my title for today is a word of hope, a word of hope. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now you would speak to every single heart. We thank you for your word, which transforms us from the inside out. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. you may be seated. As we come to the text Jesus is already hanging on the cross. He's already suspended between heaven and hell. And of course, I will spare you all of the sordid details of what he willfully endured up to this point at the hands of his crucifiers. But suffice it to say that at this point, he is unrecognizable. He is marred, the scripture says, beyond recognition. To speak at all in this condition would require extreme strength, but in typical Jesus fashion, he summons up the strength to speak not one times, not two times, but seven times during a six-hour span from 9 a.m. in the morning until 3 p.m. Seven sayings which encapsulate the great price that he paid for our salvation. Three of them were spoken in daylight and bright sunlight as the Son of God hung suspended on a hill that is referred to as the skull. By the way, the reason why it's referred to as the skull was not just the shape, but many people believe that that is where the first Adam was indeed buried and died. And that when the blood of Jesus fell from his body to the ground, it actually hit the spot that the first Adam, which started the whole thing going down the wrong way, I guess, all of a sudden was reversed by the second Adam on the hill, same hill called Calvary. Anyway, he's unrecognizable at this time, and he speaks seven times, the first three in broad daylight, the final four in complete darkness, an unusual darkness for that time of day, because the sun literally hid its face from the sun, signaling that heavenly justice and divine judgment were together colliding upon the most undeserving subject the world has ever seen. And we know the seven words that Jesus, or seven sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross. Of course, the first is a word of forgiveness that he spoke to his executioners. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second word was a word of acceptance spoken to a sinner who repented on their deathbed. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The fourth word is a word of desertion, cried by the Son to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth word is a word of identification with humanity as the Savior gasped and said, I thirst. 
The sixth word is a word of completion where your sin and mine was paid for once and for all. As Jesus yelled out, it is finished. The seventh word, a word of trust where the father, where the son said to the father, father into thy hands do I commit my spirit. Final words seem to grip our collective attention as human beings. And maybe it's because we contemplate in the deep recesses of our mind what it feels like to face death. For those who know Christ, the picture or the feeling they face is not usually that good. French philosopher Voltaire upon his deathbed said this, I have been abandoned by God and man. Not so though with the saints. Prince Albert the husband of Queen Victoria from his deathbed said this, I've had wealth, rank, and power, but if these were all I had, how wretched I should be. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in the words of faith on his deathbed. But today we turn our attention to the third word. You thought I skipped it. The third word that Jesus spoke from the cross, the third of seven. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold thy mother. There is so much wisdom in these eight words. To begin with, it is a word of responsibility. Under under Jewish law, the eldest son could, in his final words, make what they called a formal testamentary. And this was indeed that in regard to the welfare of his mother. At that time, she was a widow. It was the eldest son's responsibility to make sure that his mother was taken care of if his father had passed away. Normally, if the eldest son were to die in his final testamentary, he would pass on that responsibility to his younger brothers. But at this time, none of Jesus' siblings, none of his brothers especially, believed in him. And so Jesus would not pass on the responsibility of taking care of the mother to one of them because there is more than just physical care. How many of you know spiritual care is just as important? And so he passed it on. He looked at his his best friend, his dear friend, the disciple that Jesus loved. Everywhere Jesus went. He took, as you know, three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And we've talked about this before. It was a representation of the message of Jesus. Peter means rock, right? James means grace. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, James means law, and John means grace. And when you put all three together, everywhere he took them, he was saying, grace has come to replace the law that was written in the rock, right? And so John was one of his deepest and closest friends. John was there with him through thick and thin. John saw things that nobody else saw but John and uh, Peter and James. He was with him always. He was the one who rested on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. He loved Jesus with everything that he had, and he was one of only four people that had the courage to stand at the foot of the cross when literally all hell was breaking loose in the natural. And I have to digress and ask you the question, where are you in times of crisis? Are you a no-show, or are you, as the old hymn says, clinging to the old rugged cross. John was at the cross. John was clinging at to the cross during times of crisis. And from that moment forward, John takes Mary into his home. And the lesson that is being taught from a very just, just superficial look at the text, a very important lesson, nevertheless, is that we are to care for those that age who cared for us as we grew. 
But this is much more than a formal testamentary to assure that his mother is taken care of. This is a word to the brokenhearted. As Jesus attempts to look down, his vision is blurred by his swollen, bleeding eyes. He sees a mob filled with hostile, hate-contorted faces. Amid the sea of scorn floats two exceptions. In two pairs of eyes, he finds only love and grief and tears. On one face, he looks into the eyes of his closest friend, John. But when his eyes catch the other set of eyes and he looks into the other face, he sees a mother beholding something that no mother should ever have to look upon. The look Jesus sees on her face multiplies his pain. He has seen this look on a woman's face before when he encountered a funeral procession a few years earlier. And a mother standing beside the casket of her child, having been a widow with no hope of anybody taking care of her in her old age, Jesus stops the funeral procession, lays his hands on the coffin, and gives that mother back her son again. Now from the heights of the cross, he looks down into the face of a mother whose grief is far more profound. His compassion and affection for her are immense, but he cannot give her her son back. He must not. And like us, he never withholds unjustly. In this case, the salvation of the world was hanging in the balance. But what he could give her, he does give her. He gives her first a word of validation. When he looks at his mother and he says, woman, we wince back in momentary shock. How could the Savior be so callous at a time like this? How could he refer to a smother in what seems to be a derogatory term based upon the usage? Woman. But the truth is, it's just the opposite. Jesus has used the term woman many times, and in most times he used it in connection with a female who had shown great faith. Remember, in this society, females were marginalized, yet Jesus always seems to be validating them and elevating them. In one instance, there was a Seraphahitian female, a Gentile, and she came to Jesus on behalf of her daughter who was demon-possessed. And when she went to Jesus to implore him to heal her daughter, the disciples tried to stop her. But Jesus, as he often did, pushed past the disciples. He looked at the woman and he said, woman, is it right for me to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs? The Gentiles were considered to be less than. They were dogs in the eyes of the Jewish people. The children's bread was a covenant term that meant this belonged to anybody who was in Christ. By the way, for anybody who is sick right now, I want you to know that healing is the children's bread. It is part of the covenant that you have with Almighty God. But it, rather than be insulted by his seemingly insensitive comment, she pushes past how she might react to the statement and says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs f- eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus looks at her in Matthew 15 and verse 28. He says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to me. Let it be to you as you desire. And our daughter was healed from that very hour. In another instant, there was a woman who was bent over for 18 years with an infirmity. 18 years of looking at the ground. 18 years of struggle. 18 years of emotional toil. 18 years. And she was fighting. 
She never would get up. She kept on fighting. She kept on believing. And Jesus called her and he said to her, Luke chapter 13, verse number 12, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And then, of course, there's Mary Magdalene there with the other Marys and John at the foot of the cross during the crucifixion. She was the one who was there with him every step of the way. She went back to perfume his body after he was buried because they didn't have time to do it, and she found an empty tomb. And when she came to the empty tomb, she thought that the body of Jesus had been stolen, and she had mistaken a gardener, Jesus, for a gardener. But when the Lord realized, or she realized, or the Lord wanted to reveal himself to Mary, listen to what he said. John chapter 20, verse 15. Woman, why are you weeping? She was there at the cross. She was there at the tomb. She was there no matter what. What was Jesus saying? That is great faith. So Jesus called her woman, and now Mary, his mother, watches as her son is being crucified, and he calls her woman. He was saying to her, you are the epitome of great faith. You, mother, have a faith that is still standing. There was only four of all the people that were dear to Jesus there at the cross. Interesting to note who wasn't there. Where were the 5,000 who he fed so generously? Where were the 10 lepers that he cleansed? Where was blind Bartimaeus who he gave his sight back to? Where was Jairus whose daughter was raised from the dead? Where was the blind man and his family that he healed on the Sabbath day? Where was the paralyzed man carried by his four friends and lowered down through the roof? Where was the widow woman of Nain that was the one whose casket, whose son's casket he laid his hands on? Where were the other disciples? There were only four. John, we, we know. Mary of Clopas, who is that? Well, she was married to Joseph's brother, and therefore she was her sister-in-law. She was her ride or die. She was there with Mary through thick and thin. Not just there beside Mary when Jesus was popular and walking on water, but she was there with Jesus every single step of the way when he was hanging on a cross and Jesus was unpopular and being associated with Jesus could mean you lose your life. She was still there. How many of you know you have friends and then you have friends? You have people who are there for you sometime, but you have people who will stick by you through thick and thin and everything that you go through. Mary of Clopas was that. Then there was Mary Magdalene. She had seven, seven demons cast out of her. She was there because of what he did for her before, not because of what was happening now. She was there because of the one blessing she received from him. He gave her her mind and her life back. She couldn't care less, less if she got anything else from Jesus. When she got saved, she followed him every day of her life, no matter what the circumstances were, because he rescued her. And if you study her life, she was one who undergirded the ministry of Jesus financially. She gave because she loved. She was saved for real, y'all. She was, she was giving not because she had to be coerced, not because she had to be taught all the benefits of tithing and putting God first. That's not why she gave. She gave because she couldn't give Jesus enough because Jesus saved her life. I wish we had people in the church today that didn't have to be coerced, didn't have to be told, well, you'll get this and you'll get that, but people who just give because they love. She was saved. And everywhere she went, everywhere Jesus went, she went. She was crazy. 
Some people believe she was a prostitute. She grew up in the town of Magdala. It was known as a fishing seaport of sorts. Fishermen would go out and then they'd come back and it was also known for prostitution. And so one could only imagine what some of those fishermen may have done to her as she was growing up because girls didn't become prostitutes because they necessarily wanted to, but because they were forced to. So maybe that's why she was crazy. Maybe that's why she was demon-possessed because of everything that she had been through and everybody talked about her what, but Jesus was different because he understood her why. And she followed him wherever she could go. She was there at the foot of the cross. But then there was his mother, She had watched as he had been mercilessly beaten. She had watched as he had been unjustly and unfairly accused of a crime he did not commit. She watched as all of public opinion turned against him. She watched as he was affixed to a cruel cross. She watched as he was hoisted heavenward. She watched as his entrails literally spilt out from him. He was bleeding out and she was watching to us. This was the Lamb of God, but to her, it was her baby. She felt everything he was feeling. As if it were her. She had gone through hell. And she could have been through with God for all of the hell that she had been through. But she was still standing. She was still praising God through the pain. A pain that she didn't ask for. By the way, if you don't have a praise in the pain, you don't have a praise. Anybody can praise God when everything is going good. Anybody can praise God when everything is breaking right in your life. But it takes a special kind of person to have a praise in the middle of the pain. And when you can praise him in the middle of the pain, then you know that your faith is really genuine. Then you know you're not following him for all of the things that he could do for you. But you're following him because he rescued your soul from hell. She was praising despite what she had been through. So Jesus calls her a woman. Not a lesser term to lesser term of a culturally lower position as it was in Jesus' day, but Jesus was saying to her, you are strong in faith because you are still standing. Isn't that a mother? Goes to hell and back for their kids and their family. Still standing. Fight you tooth and nail for her children still standing. Endure whatever she has to to make sure her children are safe and fed and schooled and cared for and still standing. I've learned a lot of things as I've matured in life. By the way, when you're young, you don't know everything. Even though I thought I did know everything. And there were some things I learned in marriage by watching my wife raise our children that used to irk me and still do just a little bit, to be honest with you. One of the things that would irk me is her world revolved around the kids. And I would feel in my spirit and sometimes, no, 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 it's supposed to revolve around me. I'm your husband. I'm first. Have you ever felt that, fellas? Right? It would seem like even if it was me against them, she was always on their side. It was always their right. She always come quietly and, you know, talk to me about how I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't have done that and the other thing. Sorry, honey, I'm telling all your business right now. 
She'd be underappreciated and still drop everything for our children. Play, pray around the clock literally during seasons for our children. Never, 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 ever give up. When I was frustrated to the hill and be like, I want to just, she was still pressing in. A woman feels things differently for her kids because they were literally in her womb, literally living off the body of the mother in the most intimate exchange. And so when Jesus said, woman, he was saying, you are strong in faith. You are still standing. A word of validation to his mother, to every mama who has gone through hell and back. I want you to know you are a woman. But then secondly, it was a word of intercession. He's already prayed for his executioners. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's already interceded for a repentant sinner. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And now he is interceding for his mother. He is looking at John and looking at Mary and he leverages his relationship with John on behalf of his mother. This is what intercession is, by the way. It is leveraging a relationship that you have for the benefit of somebody else. How many of you are glad that the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us as saints? He is leveraging his relationship with the Father for you and I. And here, Jesus is leveraging his relationship with John for Mary. And his intercession is complete with the utmost compassion for what she's going through. He calls her woman, as one commentator states, to spare her the increased agony of hearing him say mama as he was dying. The nation was gripped a couple years back when George Floyd cried out as he was dying, Mama! You could not help but have your heart break in that circumstance. What was going through the mind and heart of that mother? Imagine if Jesus from the cross as he was dying cried out, Mama! Jesus in compassionate intersection, intercession calls her woman. He knew that this was the moment that Simeon had prophesied when at eight years old in her arms she carried him up to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And before she left, Simeon pulled her aside and said, a sword will pierce your soul. This was that moment. He knew any other word but woman would be more than she could bear. He knew mama would be more than she could handle. To every mama, I want you to know, he is interceding for you. He feels what you are going through, the sacrifices you made, the balls that you juggle, the selfless life that you live. He is leveraging his relationship with the father for you. Father, your daughter, daughter, your father. It was a word of intercession. But then number three, it was a word of remembrance. What was going through Mary's mind? Is she remembering the first angelic announcement? Hail Mary, for you are highly favored, blessed above all women. Where was Gabriel now when she needed another word from heaven? Is she remembering him in the carpenter's shop as he's learning from Joseph as he's growing up? Is she remembering the time when he was 12 that he ran off? Is she remembering the first miracle at the wedding feast of Cana where he also said, woman, this is not my time? 
What is she remembering as her mind flashes back? I believe this is why Jesus spoke his third word to her, sovereignly selected in the exact place to remind her what she needed to remember in this moment of pain because three in the Bible is a significant number. Three in the Bible is called a Semitic triplet. And you read it, for instance, the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Emphasis added. It is a number that represents love and heart and new life. Matter of fact, if you go like this and you put a three on the end of it, you get a heart. It is also the number that represents the Godhead. The blessed three in one. It is also the number of the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus. That encouraged Mary and Joseph that he was no ordinary baby. Three gifts. She was clearly remembering one of them, the myrrh. Which was a symbol of the fact that he was born to die. But maybe she was forgetting the other two. Gold, which was his royalty. And frankincense, which was his deity. Is Jesus reminding his mother about who he is and who she is relative to who he is? Is he reminding her about the prophetic promise given in Genesis chapter 3? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Was he reminding her with his third word that he was the promised Messiah who had crushed the head of the serpent and she was the woman that was sovereignly selected to carry him into the world? This was a word of remembrance to a mother in pain. Do not forget who you are. You are not just a woman strong in faith, but you are the woman that has been handed selected for this purpose to every mother don't you dare forget who you are as you are going through hell and back you are the one hand selected by God to raise those children you have everything you need to do it you are strong enough and smart enough and compassionate enough and tough enough and tender enough and wise enough you are needed necessary valuable instrumental pivotal and powerful you're everything that you need to be The man is the head, but remember the woman is the neck. And the body of Christ and the family of God needs every woman. But this third word, carefully crafted and spoken as the sun goes down in darkness, is about ready to descend upon Jerusalem for the final four words, is also a word of hope. Three is, of course, the number of resurrection. Three is the promise that he will make all things new. Three is the day he defeated death. Three is the day that the door to the grave was opened wide. Three is the day where the enemy handed over the keys to death's dungeon. Three is the day mankind was set free. This third word is a word of hope because Jesus was saying, woman, you are not just the one, but I am the one from the cross. This was a cry to let mama know that you will get back what you feel like you are losing right now because in three days I'm coming back to every mama who has sacrificed God's word to you is he's going to give it back. Give you back your joy. Give you back your smile. Give you back your strength. Give you back your fight. Give you back your marriage. Give you back your peace of mind. Give you back your broken relationship with your child. Give you back your sanity. Give you back your praise. And if 
if you are one of those mamas who have experienced the ultimate sacrifice, the loss of a child, this promise is still true. Why? Because when this life, which is but a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow, is over, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you will get your child back in the reconciliation of heaven. I promise you, Jesus, one way or another, will give it back to you. This third word is a word of hope. God's going to give it back. Mary got it back good. She got it back when she saw him after the resurrection. And everybody thought, well, that's wonderful. But she lost him again when he was ascended. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say how Mary felt when he ascended. But I can't imagine she felt good. I got to imagine. She said, here we go. I can't. I gotta imagine that she had a moment. I gotta imagine that the grief came back. I gotta imagine that the pain filled her heart again. But how many of you know the ascension is not the end of the story? Because when he ascended, before he did, he gave word to his disciples. And if you read about an experience in the upper room called, called the day of Pentecost, Jesus told his disciples, tarry ye in Jerusalem on high until you receive the Holy Ghost who I'll send you. He is another comforter. He is a carbon copy of me. He is just like me in every way. And they were all gathered in the upper room, 120. And the Bible is clear to say that Mary was there. And as they were gathered there, and as they were praying 10 days then the Holy Spirit came down it fell and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as it was a fire and they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance and everybody felt something for the first time on the inside they felt God on the inside but guess who felt something for the second time Mary Mary is the only woman in the history of the world to ever feel her baby in her womb, not once but twice. She experienced two losses, so what did God do? He gave her two more sustaining and complete victories in her life. And so Mary stopped for a moment. Everybody else was speaking in other tongues, and Mary was too. But Mary was saying, I know this feeling. I felt this before. This is the same feeling that I had when the angel came upon me and told me that I was going to conceive, and the Holy Ghost came up. I know what this feels like. This is my baby baby back inside my womb again. I want to tell you, ladies, God is going to give it back to you. God will give it back. Woman, strong in faith, mighty, still standing. Don't you dare forget who you are in any circumstance, in any way. You're strong courageous, the glue, the rock that's always there. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. You know, oftentimes on Mother's Day, we, we speak only about wonderful and positive things, but we don't realize for the mother of all mothers, Mary, it was painful. But how many of you know God has a power to touch our hearts and our lives?
despite whatever it is that we've been through. And my prayer today for every mom, motherhood is it's difficult. Matter of fact, I think it was Barbara Walters who said, motherhood is tough. It's not easy. Thank God for the supply of the Holy Spirit. Mothers, would you do me an honor? Just raise your hands to heaven right now. I want to pray for you. Father, right now, as all of these moms have their hands lifted up to you, I pray for a touch of your grace over each one of their lives, over each one of their hearts, over each one of their minds. Father, right now, I pray for renewed strength over them. Father, the grace of heaven, the touch that only comes from you, the assurance that every step of the way that you are right by their side. Lord, I pray for every mother who has made mistakes, who has doubted themselves. Father, that they realize that in you, they're everything they need to be. Father, right now, all over this room, I pray even for mothers who are estranged from their children. Father, for reconciliation for soft and tender hearts. Father, thank you for healing and touching and moving in every mother's life. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you are apart from God and you are not sure if you left this earth today where you would spend eternity, the message of the cross is a simple one. It is not complicated in any way. Jesus had to die on the cross for your sin and mine so that we could be made right with God. There is no other way to be made right with God. The Bible says all of our goodness, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. You could be the best person on the planet. The most moral individual that there is And if that's all you ever are and never have put your faith in Jesus, quoting the scripture again, that's as filthy rags. means nothing to God. All of us, every single one of us, from the greatest to the least, has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And the standard of heaven is absolute perfection. God knew that that was a high standard, impossible for anybody to achieve. And so God does not hold us responsible for meeting that standard. He sent his only son. He became a man, held himself to that standard, died in our place, was resurrected on our behalf so that he could give us his righteousness, so he could impute it to us. And all he says is you must bow your knee and give your heart in full surrender to my son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't know that you're right with God, but today... You want to surrender your life to him. Hold your hand up so I can pray for you. Hold it up nice and high. God bless you. God bless you. It's okay. We won't embarrass you. I promise you. If you haven't yet put it up, I want to pray for you. Anybody else? God bless you in the back over there. That's awesome. God bless you right over here. Fantastic. Anyone else? Pastor, I don't know if I'm right with God, but today I'm surrendering to him. I don't hold it out because I want more hands. Because one soul is precious in the eyes of God. I hold it out because heaven waits for no man. Eternity waits for no man. God's calling your heart right now. If you haven't yet, but you wanted to, last time, hold your hand up. Anybody else? 
Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're watching online and maybe the Holy Spirit is ministering to you and you want to give your life to Jesus. Right there, wherever you are, you can put your hands up to heaven. God can save you in a room, in a hotel room, in your kitchen, in your bathroom, in your car, wherever you need to be saved. God loves you that much. Let's all pray this prayer together, especially those that raised their hand. Say this out loud with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I surrender to you. I repent of my sins. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as my Savior. And I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, an usher's going to find you. Help them out. Don't be so conspicuous that they can't find you. They're going to give you a little book. Describes what it means to give your life to Jesus. God bless you all. You look hungry because you're already leaving before I say you're dismissed. Have a great day. God bless.